Welcome along to 20 Minute Topic. I'm Marcus Stead and I'm joined as ever by veteran campaigner and blogger Greg Lance Watkins. What an extraordinary week it has been. The United Kingdom is leading the world with the rollout of the Covid vaccine. The benefits of being freed from the shackles of the EU are there for all to see. And this week has seen frankly embarrassing and shameful behaviour from EU officials. Stay with us as we assess the week's events and ask whether the vaccine really will lead to a return to normality. Well, Greg, first of all, I think I should wish you a very happy birthday for earlier in the week. You turned 75. Against the odds, it has to be said, after all you've been through with uh, cancer and various other illnesses over the course of the last 20 years. But you also received some good news the other day that your vaccination is imminent. I think you're due to receive it in the days ahead. And you and I are both very much in favour of the vaccine, not just for the elderly, but for ourselves and our children, all generations in the fullness of time. But it's been an eventful few days in terms of uh, AstraZeneca. And to recap what's actually gone on and, and the feud with the EU, uh, AstraZeneca, it's made in the UK. The UK government had ordered 100 million doses. Uh, it's confident it can vaccinate the most vulnerable groups, including yourself, by mid-February. And this has caused a stink with the EU. And it's a case, it seems to me, of the UK having good contract law, good organization, good planning versus the EU with ineptitude and Brussels, frankly, trying to throw its weight around them. They've been throwing their toys out the pram as well as throwing their weight around, it seems to me. It's now very clear that the EU has made a complete cock-up of the vaccine rollout. And it seems clear to me anyway that the UK is benefiting hugely from not being part of the EU. Now, less than a month into the new Brexit deal, and we're recording this on the evening of the 30th of January, it does seem to me, Greg, quite literally the case that British lives are being saved by us being outside the EU. I don't think there's any doubt of that. But um, firstly, can I make uh, a minor correction to your statement? AstraZeneca have production plants in the UK. They also have them in other parts of the European Union. And the European Union's unelected bureaucracy uh, had drawn up a contract, which wasn't really a contract, it was more of an agreement with AstraZeneca in, on the continent, whereby they would put in a substantial amount of money as effectively prepayment should they go ahead with a virus if AstraZeneca devised a viable vaccine. This is not a contract to supply. They said how many they would like if it went ahead once it was approved. Hmm. Well, the latter part of last week, the European Union had not approved the vaccine, point one. Point two, Germany was saying it shouldn't be given to people over 65 and had not approved it. And therefore, there was no con contract of supply because no order had been placed. When the European Union realised that Britain was now in a position where we had actually vaccinated seven and a half million people with AstraZeneca's 
vaccine, and the figures were looking good, the European Union, with egg all over its face because it has unelected bureaucrats, many of whom have absolutely no understanding of commerce or holding down a job in the real world, had drawn up a contract, they thought, which wasn't a contract as such um, in any legal uh, means, and in order to try and put this right, they started to bluster. And they even entered, um, I don't know what sort of warrants they had, um, AstraZeneca's premises in the European Union to check out what they were doing. Yeah, well, we're, see we're seeing lots of unsavory aspects to this story, but there's a particular one that's got a lot of coverage in the news, and rightly so, and that's the situation in Northern Ireland. Now, we know it was a massive sticking point over Brexit negotiations about what happens to Northern Ireland, and we've got a situation now where Northern Ireland remains in the European Union's single market. And they were saying during the course of uh, Thursday into Friday that they were going to trigger Article 16 of the Northern Ireland Protocol, which allows the EU and the UK to choose to suspend any aspects they consider are causing economic, societal, or environmental difficulties. That was very, very quickly condemned by London, Dublin, and Belfast, and it united all sides. We had the Tories, the DUP, Labour, Sinn Féin, the Irish government. They were, we were all on the same side in condemning this, and it was a grossly irresponsible move by the European Union because throughout the course of the last few years, all sides had been careful with the language they used in relation to Northern Ireland and were aware of the political sensitivities and there were people from Britain and Dublin who had gone to the European Union to educate them on the importance of using moderate language. They used inflammatory language. They have now admitted their mistake and this evening we've seen the statement from Michael Gove saying that they, they admit their mistake, they're backtracking on that, so that's not going to happen. But what they were trying to do was stop supplies via the single market going into Northern Ireland and therefore being used as a backdoor of getting into Great Britain. Now, there's been a lot of misunderstanding about this. The, 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 there's been lots of talk about the Good Friday Agreement, what is actually called the Belfast Agreement, to use its correct name. Um, the principles of the Belfast Agreement are about power sharing, weapons decommissioning, and the release of paramilitary prisoners on both sides. In other words, it's only the first one that's strictly relevant in the current era. There's nothing in the Belfast Agreement about there not being a hard border. That's not to say a hard border is desirable. It is not. But there's been lots of misuse by particularly the European Union side, uh, throwing the phrase Good Friday Agreement or Belfast Agreement around in relation to this. The key factor was Article 16 of the, the um, Brexit deal that was done. And they, I think, Greg, the language they use, fortunately, it's been dampened down now, but that could have been hugely inflammatory, I think. Oh, I think it goes further than that. It's being used as a weapon against Britain to make life difficult. For instance, there is um, a huge lock in um, Northern Ireland that produces sand eels. And uh, the fishermen take out some several million sand eels a year uh, to ship and have been shipping them to, uh, amongst other places, Billingsgate Market, where they're converted into jelly deals, uh, which are very popular in certain sectors in the UK and have been for years. The European Union has said they can't be shipped because you're not allowed to ship 
European livestock, fish, etc., to Britain. Well, they've defined Northern Ireland as European, when in fact it's part of Britain, and they've done this arbitrarily, and they've blocked the supply. The other side of that particular coin is that the idiots don't seem to have realised that there is a fishery just up the road from where I live on the River Severn that supplies over two million glass eels a year to restock with these little um, transparent elvers the sand eels in the lock. And that's a trade uh, which bills out from the supplier in the Forest of Dean just up the road at half a million pounds worth of these um, live small eels for restocking. So they can't ship out the, the eels they've caught to Britain because of European regulations that are fundamentally dishonest. And they can't bring in replacement baby eels for exactly the same reason. Well, yeah, that's that's one example, and it's a good example. But I'm grateful for Small Mercies thinking about it, as you were explaining that there. I'm grateful for Small Mercies, and one of them is that uh, Leo Varadkar is not currently the Taoiseach in the Republic of Ireland, because we saw both in, in terms of his press conferences and his behaviour on social media when he was Taoiseach, the sort of stupid inflammatory comments and childish comments he used to make on a regular basis. Thankfully, Michael Martin has not done that, so that is something anyway. Um, but also as well, that all right, this situation has been diffused. But it does seem to me, Greg, as though the European Union in recent days, it has been very childlike, uh, throwing its toys out the pram, making inflammatory statements left, right and centre. The most sensible thing to do is for the European Union to say, yes, we got this wrong in terms of the contract law that should have been in place with AstraZeneca. It was not. We got it wrong. Let's but crack on. They said on. that last night. Yeah, but it, it should have been done a good 24 hours earlier, at least. Let's go but, one stage further, Marcus. This agreement between Britain and the European Union, we had extreme difficulty negotiating with them because they didn't seem to have a clue how to negotiate. They were determined to impose conditions on Britain and were not didn't understand how negotiations work. They forced... And not very good, but the best we could expect Brexit deal on the British government. And they are defaulting on it within 30 days. Well, yeah. And I, and I also think to, to, to emphasize where something I said right at the very start, we really are benefiting now from being outside of the European Union, having had this uh, agreement with AstraZeneca in place. And it has to be said, in England, in Wales, and in Northern Ireland, the rollout of the vaccine is pretty damn fast at the moment. The side that's letting us down is Nicola Sturgeon in Scotland, where the rollout is far slower. And I have to say, Greg, because I think this is important as well, Nicola Sturgeon, for the benefit of our listeners, say what she did, which I think is pretty damn treasonous in terms of what she was threatening to do in terms of AstraZeneca. Oh, I would agree with you entirely. Uh, she was threatening to provide um, a foreign authority, namely the European Union, a foreign and very alien authority when you actually start looking at it closely and the structure of European law. She was threatening to supply them with confidential documentation 
of the British government, to which she is privy as the First Minister, that's the person with the biggest spoon, wooden spoon, in Scotland. Now, let's, yeah, you're right. Now, let's think about where this could have led. This could have led in a, to a reduction in the number of vaccines being available in the United Kingdom as a whole, including in Scotland, which it would have led... The, hang on, it was the European Union's intention to divert vaccine that was going to Britain to the European Union to fulfil their needs, when in fact they didn't even have a contract with the manufacturer. Well, yes, that is correct. But think about what Sturgeon was doing here. If she had carried out that threat, and I don't use the word threat lightly in that sense, we would have ended up with fewer vaccines available in this country. And that would have meant a slowing down of the rollout of the vaccine, which would have harmed all constituent parts of the United Kingdom, including Scotland. So not only would she have been harming people in England, Wales and Northern Ireland, she would have been harming people in Scotland as well, where already, because of her own inept administration, the rollout is slower than it is elsewhere in the United Kingdom. So what she was doing, I think, I know, again, I don't use the word lightly, I think it's treachery. And I think it's completely out of order. And I don't think that particular aspect of this story was given anything like the publicity it deserved and merited in the mainstream UK media. But Greg, in the few minutes we've got left, I want to talk about the vaccine itself. Now, you received the good news the other day that your vaccine is imminent now. I think you're only a matter of days away from receiving it. Tuesday. Yep, yep. Um, so that, there's some very good news there. And the first thing to point out is, yes, it's a good idea to have the vaccine at the earliest possible opportunity, whoever you are, however old you are, however healthy or otherwise you are. The vaccines approved for use in the UK will give you a substantial degree of immunity to the current strain of COVID. The vaccine itself is very safe. The injection itself is pretty much painless. In terms of side effects, in a small number of cases, people feel mildly unwell for 24 to 48 hours after having had the vaccine, but they recover very quickly. And two weeks later, they have a substantial degree of immunity from this strain of COVID, even if a second dose is required. And, and with many, um, many of the vaccines available, it is done in two doses. However, this is not the magic cure a lot of people think they're getting here. There's a huge number of unanswered questions about the vaccine, and some of them are these, and you can address these in a moment. What length of time does the protection last? Is it a few months, a few years? We just don't know. Does it provide resistance to the new, more virulent strains, the ones we've seen in the last few weeks, the South Africa strain, the Kent strain, and so on? Again, we don't know. Does having had the vaccine mean that if you catch the virus, you can't pass it on to others? The evidence seems to suggest that it reduces the risk, but it doesn't eliminate it completely. There are a huge number of don't knows about the vaccine and what having had it means in terms of immunity and risk. It may well not be the case that everyone has the vaccine and we all live happily ever after. That's what's concerning me, Greg. A lot of people say, no, once everyone's been vaccinated, everything just gets back to normal. I don't think it's going to be anything like as simple as that. We might be lucky, though, I'm not holding my breath on that. Um, mutations of this virus are occurring and they're occur occurring at a re an alarmingly fast rate at the moment. Many of them are very minor mutations that would seem to be dealt with by the existing um, vaccine. However, it doesn't look as if the existing vaccine is anything like 
as effective, particularly with the South African mutation. There's a Brazilian mutation that is also proving very virulent and it's debatable whether it's as effective with that. However, that is no excuse for not taking the vaccine. And there is every reason to believe that with the mutations that we have to date, the vaccine will still act as a suppressant. It may not prevent you getting the problem, but it, might, it does look as if it will make the problem considerably less um, fatal, uh, one can safely say, because uh, the South African mutation is proving virulent in terms of spread and very unpleasant in terms of an increased uh, probability of uh, fatality. So in other words, you and I are agreed on this then, that this, this, there's a very good chance, unfortunately, that this vaccine, whilst we should all have it, you're having yours on Tuesday at 37 years of age, my time isn't going to come for a little while yet for the vaccine, but I will be having it when the opportunity does come around. We should all have it. And my final point I want to address is gross misinformation on social media. In that I think really, Greg, the time has now come, and I think the, the, the need to legislate on this is urgent. People are, they did a vox pop in the streets on one of the news channels the other day, and, and I'm afraid a significant minority people in this country, and dare I say it, other countries, are being taken in by absolute rubbish they're reading on social media, uh, from the David Icke Brigade and all the other hangers-on from that sphere of society, about mythical risks of the vaccine and mythical intentions. Um, the reality is, uh, I, I just outlined the risks of the vaccine. You may, f you may, there's a small chance you'll feel mildly unwell for a day or two, but it won't be anything more than that. It's, they're certainly not going to put a microchip in you or use it to control your brain or anything like that. There's a huge amount of rubbish out there. But Greg, I think there's a need now, and it's becoming more urgent, for the, the case to be that anyone who posts anything on social media, it should be the case that you, when you sign up, you should have to use your real name, provide the supplier, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or whoever, with verifiable ID so you can be easily traced um, if you're posting, not just about this, but if you're posting malicious information about anything or libeling or defaming anybody. Because social media, I'm afraid it's like the Wild West. People are not being held to account for the things that they post, and it's having a devastating impact. And I, I'm going to go a stage further, Greg, in that even so-called respectable media outlets, and I'm going to name it, Reach PLC um, and Wales Online, who's owned by Reach PLC, they have been putting um, news stories on, on their social media feeds about the vaccine, accompanied by a stock picture of a little old lady receiving a, an injection in her arm. And looking yeah. yeah, looking absolutely terrified and wincing in her face. And the reality is there's lots of things to be frightened of in this world at the moment. A little injection is not one of them. I have not heard a single person who's had the vaccine say it was painful. It is not. It will not be for you on Tuesday. It hasn't been for the millions who've already received the vaccination. And them using that image is grossly irresponsible journalism. You Just uh, 30 seconds, if you would, please, Greg, just address those two final points. Firstly... I think the media are being grossly irresponsible, but they are pandering to a collection of completely irresponsible people who are in the public. I do believe that in order to publish anything on the internet, you should have a license free of charge and you should have an allocated number 
as an ID, not necessarily your own name, but an allocated number that is controlled by a committee of individuals mixed between the professionals who operate the internet, uh, the uh, police authorities, and the public users, whereby that number can be released to the um, enforcement agency, and tied to that number is a proven identity. Yeah, I agree with you completely, Greg. And I think actually at some point we'll do a podcast where we discuss the issue of internet anonymity and the dangers of social media in more depth. But sadly, we're out of time. My thanks as always to Greg. My thanks to you for listening. If you do get the opportunity to have the vaccine anytime soon, for crying out loud, do take it. Greg's going to, and you should as well. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next time.